You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. How's everybody doing today? It's an honor to be here with you this morning. We won't talk about how I ended up being here, but you're stuck with me today, so that's just the way it's going to be. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll pick up again in verse 25 where we were a week ago talking through this series called Picture Perfect. Brother Thomas last week talked about how we need to be weak so that God can be strong and how we often rely on our own strength and that's when we get in trouble, don't we? That's when we get in trouble big time. And so this week um, has been a challenge for me because I found out on Tuesday that I would be doing this today, so... We call that uh, cramming for a final, if you will, but, but that's okay because God has given us this opportunity to come together and worship and talk about righteousness together and what that really, really looks like to us. And so what I want to do is read this passage of Scripture, we'll pray, and then, then we'll kind of break it down together here if that's all right with you. So verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Really focus here on verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord. We are so thankful that we can boast in Jesus, Lord, but we also know that there are times that we get caught boasting in other things, and Lord, there are times that we get caught looking at our own lives and others and making maybe comparisons that don't match up with what your word tells us, Lord. We are thankful for the righteousness of Jesus, Lord, and now open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to the truth of your word. We ask these things in your name, amen. So in the mid-1500s, there was a guy by the name of Henry VIII. Maybe you have heard of him before. Um, and Henry VIII had been married three times. His third wife had died in childbirth. And it had been a few years since he had married again. And his advisors decided that they were going to go find him another wife. And so they went out into Europe and they ran across this German princess by the name of Anne of Cleves. And they met Anne and they knew right off the bat they had a problem. And that's... Anne was rather, well, the word they would use is homely. And they knew that Henry would not go for that, and so uh, they decided to hire a guy by the name of Hans Holbein the Younger. You guys who are art fans might know who Hans Holbein is, but he was a famous painter of the Renaissance, and, and he, uh, he paints a picture of Anne of Cleves, did a fantastic job. So good that when Henry saw the picture, he said, absolutely, I'll marry her. And so they bring, bring her to England, and, you know, Henry's not met her, and, and he's, but he's seen the picture. And so they, they bring her in, and he meets her, and he goes, that's not the girl in the picture. She looks like a horse. 
Um, true story. It played out a smidge different than that, but that's basically the way it worked. And folks, here's the reality. In our lives, so often, we try to look righteous, and we try to come across as righteous, but it's kind of like the portrait, isn't it? We put forward an image, but really, that's not who we are. And so today, as we talk about righteousness, there's some things that we know. These are things we know. I am not unpacking anything new this morning. These are things that we know. These are things that I needed to be reminded of this week. And I think that God wants all of us to be reminded of. About what righteousness really is. And, and remembering that maybe we fall a lot shorter than we think. But praise the Lord, there's somebody who didn't fall short. And we can't forget that. We'll look at that. So three truths we're going to look at today when we talk about righteousness. Three truths I want to talk about with righteousness. And the first one is the most important, right? Well, I say most important, but it's very important. Truth number one, God is the standard by which righteousness is measured. God is the standard by which righteousness is measured. Let's Look at Scripture. I like to do a lot of Scripture reading, so get ready, get set, go. Because here we're going, all right? Psalm 143, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. There it is. God is righteous. Again, Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was not it I, the Lord... And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Our God is a righteous God. Amen? Can I say this? Our God never gets it wrong. He always gets it right. And that's very important. There are a few characteristics of God being righteous I think we need to just pay attention to because of the world we live in today. There's a few things we needed to be reminded about concerning God's righteousness, okay? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of talk right now about courts and judiciary and, and the way things are ruled and what we all want in any situation is justice, correct? And we want someone who rules the right way every time. Is that fair? That's what we want. We think it, it ought to be straight every time. But what do we know about people? Yeah, it's not, is it? We like to be judged by a different set of standards than we judge everybody else by. At least I do. Right? But let me tell you about God. He is a righteous judge. Look at this. Psalm 96. Okay? 
They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. And listen to this. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. God judges righteously we never have to worry about god punishing the innocent or exonerating the guilty god always judges rightly can we agree with that so what scripture says doesn't matter if we agree or not right he is a righteous judge that's who god is But not only is his judgment righteous, so are his deeds. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6, it says, And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. All the righteous deeds he performed. Just for a moment, think back. What are the righteous deeds the Lord has performed in your life? What do they look like? You guys know what we've been through, a lot of you. Know what we've been through over the last seven or eight weeks. But I can say from the bottom of my heart that I know that the loss of my father, right, was a righteous deed. God knew what he was doing. There is never a moment when our Heavenly Father sits on the throne and goes, Oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. There is no emergency committee meeting in heaven. They don't have to happen. Because God's deeds are always right. Ours aren't. Is that fair? Anybody had to tell somebody they're sorry this week? I have. You know, our deeds aren't righteous. We can, we can run the list. We're not going to run the list. There's no need to. We know what our unrighteousness looks like. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes anyway. We're talking about God here. And God's deeds are always, always, always right. He never gets it wrong. Now, there's some things that are allowed to happen. Okay, but God always turns those for the right, doesn't he? He's always working that plan, right? Third thing I want us to see about God's righteousness is that his promises are always righteous. You can read about this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. And Nehemiah is, is worshiping the Lord and thanking the Lord because they've just come back to the land. And they're rebuilding the wall. If you've never read Nehemiah, you should. It's really inspiring, particularly they're talking about rebuilding the wall and standing in the gap. It's great stuff. But Nehemiah is praising the Lord, and he says at the end of this, he said, and you have kept your promises, for you are righteous. Now, coronavirus has been tough on us, hasn't it? Particularly the time when we didn't get to do this. You remember that? And those are the moments when we really had to remember this promise from the Lord, I will never, what, leave you or or forsake you? Man, when we read God's word and we read his promises, here's what we can bank on. His promises are righteous. Always. 
always, always righteous. He never changes. Not one time. Another story from history. I do this a lot. So back in the Middle Ages, when a king took the throne, one of the very first things they would do is come and measure his foot. And there we go. Okay, his foot is 16. He's got a big foot. 16 inches long. So guess how long a foot was back then? However big the king's foot was. Which was really bad if you went from a king with a 16-inch foot to a king with an 8-inch foot because then all your carpenters and your tile cutters and everybody else, your, your tailors are like, oh my goodness, let's do this again, right? They have to remeasure because the standard was always what? It's always changing, but the standard of righteousness, our God, our King, our Rescuer, our Deliverer, His standard of righteousness never changes. Not once. That's truth one. Two more to go. Truth two. All human beings, that's us, are not righteous. We're not. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear on this one, okay? Psalm 143, verse 2, Enter not into judgment with your servant. Please don't judge me. For no one living is righteous before you. Romans puts it this way, quoting Psalm 14. None is righteous, no, not one. We are not righteous, no matter how much sometimes we try to look that way, we're not. Now, by the way, this does not mean we just throw our hands in the air and quit and go, well, I'm just going to do whatever. Thomas is going to talk about that next week. Okay? That's not today. That's the sanctification side, not the, the part we're doing today. The fall created a problem for us, didn't it? It separated us from God. He's in heaven. We're down here. And God, over the course of the Old Testament, is going to set in place all these guidelines to be righteous, isn't he? Here are the ten suggestions. That's how we treat them sometimes. Here are the ten commandments, right? Here they are. And what's the problem? Did you keep the ten commandments this week? I didn't. I'm not going to tell you which one I didn't keep. But we didn't, did we? And so he put the sacrificial system in place, right? Why the sacrificial system in place? To temporarily make us what? Right with God. That's why that sacrificial system's in place. But we have to recognize that we are flawed and sinful, that we are unrighteous. The Bible called us enemies of God. It calls us slaves of sin. Those are not good distinctions. Right? I mean, is that fair? That's what the Bible says. And what we try to do God puts this plan in place, but here's what we try to do. We try to move the line, don't we? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself righteous with God. The Bible talks about this all the time. Proverbs chapter 4. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to what? Death, destruction. It seems right. Follow your what? Yeah, no. Don't follow your heart. Because there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. 
it leads to destruction. It also, in the book of Judges, you want to read about following your own heart. Read the book of Judges. It'll set the record straight. But there's several times in the book of Judges it uses this statement. And there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it turned out miserably. And we see this all the time in a society that is postmodern, that believes that truth is relative, and from individual to individual, what's right for me may not necessarily be right for you. And that's what our society teaches all the time. Because it doesn't have its eyes on the righteous one. It allows me to compare me to you, and therefore, since I'm not as bad as you are, I'm righteous and you're not. And I would love to say that that had not permeated and worked its way into the church, but you guys would know I would be violating one of the commandments if I told you that. And Jesus actually addresses numerous ways that this happens, but I want to really hone in on two today. The ways that we, many times as churchgoers, allow ourselves to get caught up in creating this standard of righteousness that falls short of what God wants. Because first of all, we've got to realize that we attempt to be righteous by trying to be moral. That is not encouraging immorality. But we do attempt to try to be righteous by by being moral. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. This is a story that if you've grown up around the church that you're probably very familiar with. Verse 16 is where we'll be there. We, we try to be moral. Okay, there's nothing wrong with being moral. It's not a bad thing. We're not sitting here talking bad about morality. But what I am trying to say is, I just want to be clear, you can never be moral enough to be righteous. You can never be moral enough to be righteous. It's not enough. It's not enough. Look at what it says here. In this, in this passage, verse 16, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This guy comes to Jesus, right? He says, what have I got to do to have eternal life? He's getting to the whole works thing, right? What have I got to do to have eternal life? Because obviously this guy knows something's not right. Um, most biblical scholars would say this guy was at least in and around the Pharisees if he wasn't one himself. We call him the rich young ruler, right? That's what we call him by. And here's this guy, he comes to Jesus, and teacher, what have I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? I love the way Jesus always turns a question. He's good at that. There's only one who's good. If you in inner life keep the commandments, and the young man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and, father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still like? And from an outward perspective, people may have looked at this young man and said, he's a really moral dude. In fact, what Jesus is saying, I can almost see the disciples going, no, this guy's got Cash. Do you know the kind of missionary effort we could fund with this guy? He's 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 connected. Right? He's moral, Jesus. The guy says he kept it. And notice Jesus doesn't do what here? He doesn't 
dive into all the, oh, really? What about on September the 13th? And lay, he doesn't do that, does he? It's not what Jesus does. Jesus looks at him and says, um, because the guy said, what do I still lack? He knew, by the way, that morality wasn't enough, didn't he? If you're to be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And we know the story ends sadly, doesn't it? The young man walks away. Because morality isn't enough. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Exceeds it. They're outwardly moral. They were the standard of morality for the day. And people would look at them and go, I've got to be more moral than them? How do you do that? Morality's not enough. It's never going to make you righteous. Never going to make you righteous. That's why we've got to be really careful with what we say to our kids. I want you to be good, little boys and little girls. Well, really, what does that look like? What's the standard for that? Really? What's the standard for that? Uh, I worry sometimes, and I'm not indicting anybody here, okay? I worry sometimes that we don't do enough to let those little hearts be open to coming, becoming aware of the wickedness and sinfulness that resides there. It's important. Because they need to know how much they need a Savior. They need to know how much they need Jesus. Let's not protect those little hearts from that. Let's, you understand that this is sin, <laughs> right? And that's how we have to describe it. Because that's who we are, right? We try to be moral, don't we? We try to set those moral standards. Jesus, just to let them know that that outward moral appearance was not enough, in Matthew chapter 5, he addressed that. He said, you've heard it said to not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who has looked upon a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. And he went on to say, and you've heard it said to not commit murder, but I say to you, if you've hated your brother, you've already committed murder. Jesus said, it's a lot more than just the actions. It's the attitudes of the heart that make you righteous, which means we're all in big trouble. Is that fair? That's what, that's what he says, right? James 2.10. He who has kept the whole law yet stumbles in one part has become guilty of all. If you've told a lie, you're done. Done. It's over. You're guilty of all. Second thing we try to do is we attempt to be righteous through our religious devotion. Well, we've got a check sheet. Whoop, went to church eight times this month. Gave to the church. Went to Sunday school. Helped a little lady take her groceries to her car. I've checked all the boxes. I'm good. Right? Religious devotion. We see this in Luke chapter 18. We have the story of the two men who've come to the temple to pray. Remember, the righteous Pharisee comes in and he says, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this man. Right? Let's picture some really British dude saying that. I'm not like this guy. I've, I've fasted twice already this week. I've tithed. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do to be religiously devoted. And Jesus is going, I am sorry, but that is not enough. That is not going to make you righteous. Your being here today is not going to make you righteous. We are excited you're here online, in person. That's awesome. But I want to say this 
So I'm going to let this cat out of the bag a lot earlier with you than I did with the group earlier today. But here's the real, real truth. You cannot do anything, and I cannot do anything, to make God love us more or less than He already showed us at Calvary. You can't work more. It's not like you're like, oh, I get to be in the penthouse in heaven. It's not the way it works. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right? We can't earn anything more than what we've already earned, but why do we need more? We've got to be content with what our Savior has done. And so let's go to truth number three, which is the awesome one. Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. Jesus was righteous when we couldn't be. Is that fair? Yeah, well, that's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. Jesus took our nasty, filthy unrighteousness, bore it on His body, died a horrible death so that God's wrath is satisfied. Because remember, God's a righteous judge. And he took that wrath of God on his own shoulders on our behalf. The law that you and I couldn't keep, Jesus kept perfectly. Did you know that today there are a lot of people, they've polled, I think it's greater than 30% of people they polled believe that Jesus sinned? Jesus didn't sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was righteous in keeping the law when we couldn't be. Right? Jesus died the death that we deserve. Because the punishment for sin is death, right? Romans, the wages of sin is death. It's true. He, he did that, didn't he? We deserve that death. Because of our sin, we deserved it. But, it but, but God... Right? Sent Jesus on our behalf. The rightness with God we could not access. Jesus made a way. Think about it. Temple. There's a veil. You go behind that veil. And you go into that Holy of Holies. And you're not the high priest who's been cleansed to do it. It's over. Done. Because that veil was a reminder of the separation between the righteousness of God and our unrighteousness. But what happened right after Jesus died? That veil split right down the middle because no longer did we need a high priest to go in before a righteous God because our forever high priest, Jesus, has done it for us and he has made a way for us to be with God and for God to be with us and for us to be right. And that's what he's done. What a powerful, powerful action our Savior has carried out. Colossians 1.20 puts it this way. He made peace for us by the blood of the cross. We were at war with, we don't like to think about this, but we were at war with God. Who wants to sign up for that one? Not me, but the Bible said that he made peace by the blood of the cross. Peace with God. We're right, that means we're right with God. Jeremiah 23 and 33, prophesy. Chapters 23 and chapters 33, prophesy about the Lord our righteousness. That's exactly who Jesus is. 
It's exactly who he is. Go with me to the Old Testament. God's getting ready to deliver Israel out of Egypt. He's going to bring that last plague on the land, right? The death of the firstborn. And that death of the firstborn actually was deserved by everyone in Egypt, including the Jews. Because God is righteous in his judgment. He technically should take out who? All of them. But God provided a way, didn't he? He said, here's what I want you to do on the 10th of the month. I want you to go out and I want you to find a spotless, perfect lamb. I want you to slaughter it. And I want you to take the blood from that spotless, perfect lamb. And I want you to go to the doorpost. And I want you to just put blood on that doorpost. Because when I come by, when that death angel comes by, he's going to look down and when he sees that blood, he's going to go, passing over that one. Right? Here's the cool part for us. When we have faith in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, when God looks down at us, He doesn't look down and see all my unrighteousness. He looks down and sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's what He sees. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Not me. He sees Him. Right? The work has been done. Listen, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, do you hear that? doesn't work. We can't earn it. We can't get there. I don't care what everybody else says. We cannot do it on our own. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Our belief is not work, but it does cause God to look on the accomplished work of Jesus and not our failures. You're right. You can never be good enough. You don't have to be. Jesus was. You're right. You can never be perfect. You don't have to be. Jesus was. Why don't we just try to be like him? That's what we need to do. So let's talk about three ways that we can apply this today. And then we will wrap this thing up. Number one, the first challenge for us is to thank God for the righteousness we have through Jesus. I don't know that I spend enough time, right, thanking God for the righteousness I have through Jesus, right? How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me, right? He took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone so that I don't have to do that, right? If we really spend time thanking God for the righteousness of Jesus that we have, because we definitely don't deserve that. And I think we need to spend time daily thanking God for the righteousness we have through Jesus. Number two, we have to keep righteousness in the right perspective. And instead of looking at others and comparing them to us, we always have to compare ourselves to the one who's holy and righteous, and that's God. We have to do that. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul kind of helps the Corinthians. Corinthians need a lot of help if you haven't read that book. So do we, by the way. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he says, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, thanks for making us feel great, Paul. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Remember who we were and remember who we are because of what Jesus did. And let's not ever let those things get out of balance. Don't become self-righteous thinking, well, at least I'm not like they are. Because we could be who we were. We're not. Praise Jesus for that. Finally, find your identity. We need to find our identity in the redemptive, saving work of Jesus. That is our righteousness. Not in being a moral person or being a person who is devoted to religious ideas. You want to be devoted to Jesus, awesome. But don't be devoted to religion that checks boxes. Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. He didn't say do in me, did he? He said abide. And I don't, I think we probably need a deep study into that abide, because I think we struggle with that one. We're doers, aren't we? We like to do. And you, mm -mm, abide. Hang tight. Be close. Right? Find our identity in what Jesus did, and in being close to him, and in the righteousness that he has. That's where identity is. And when people look at me and go, well, man, I, you know, I noticed that you don't do certain things. I, no, listen, mm -mm, that, that's not about me, okay? That's not about me at all. I, just, I don't, I don't want to do anything that would defame the name of Jesus. I, I just want to be really cautious about that. I'm not trying to be better than somebody else. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to do any of those things. I just want to represent the one who loved me and died for me well. I'm not running around playing the shame game. Okay? It's not what I'm doing. Find our identity in the work of Christ. Here it is. Boast in what he has done, not in what we've done. Boast in his righteousness. How perfect and just and holy and awesome he is. Don't boast in what we did. There is no reason we should ever take credit for what Jesus did. Because what he did is so perfect, we can never pull it off. But it's ours. It's ours. So let's pray right now and let's thank God for it. And let's sing and let's thank God for it. And let's just worship him for who he is because he's worthy of it. Let's pray together. Lord, you are righteous. You are holy. You are awesome. And what you have provided us through the work of Jesus, we do not deserve. And yet, you gave it to us anyway. Lord, we thank you for that. And we just are in awe that you would love us so much. That you would provide such an awesome way to righteousness. The only way. Lord, we know that you love us and that we can never change that. Lord, let us stop striving to change that and rest in the work of Jesus because it's perfect. Lord, we love you.
And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.